The Wisconsin State Fair is here. Bringing you the sights and sounds live from the fair. Here's your host, Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. Well, one of the things I love about being at the Wisconsin State Fair is you you never know who might walk by the, the booth giving me a chance to go out and try to wrangle them in. And it is my great pleasure now to be joined by the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin. Recently, I guess it was, you know, we, we knew it was going to be a foregone conclusion, but uh, he is the Republican candidate for re-election to the U.S. Senate in November. Ron Johnson. Senator, good afternoon. Jeff, it's great to be here. Five and oh. <laughs> there you go. There, there, there you go. Okay. I, I, by the way, I, let me just let me just start. Your opponent in the election is going to be Mandela Barnes. I was I was on my high horse in the last segment about out of control crime, and there was a speed another one of these high speed chases on the freeway last night at 117 miles an hour. When Mandela Barnes was in the state legislature in 2016, he authored a bill which would have eliminated cash bail and prevented prosecutors from using the nature of the crime that somebody was charged with as a basis to hold them. And he's still doubling down on that. You'd think maybe after he saw what low bail, no bail did in terms of releasing the Waukesha Christmas Parade murderer, right. maybe he'd reconsider that. You know, listen, pe- people can be wrong. You can have bad ideas, but you'd, you'd think maybe based on the evidence he'd, he'd back away, but no, he's doubling down on it. Now, you know, what, what's interesting about the race now is uh, the, the Democrat elite, I mean, the, the power brokers, selected the candidate for Wisconsin right. Democrats. Would, uh, if I were a little bit more moderate Wisconsin Democrat, I'd be kind of scratched my head and not particularly happy about it. I mean, what do they have no respect for voters? So they chose the most radical left candidate to be their nominee. And so now we'll have to compare you know, his record versus mine. I, I think there's a pretty, pretty clear contrast. I mean, somebody like myself who, who actually loves this country, you know, I, I don't think the founding was awful. You know, we're not a perfect nation, but we're something pretty rare and precious. But Mandela Barnes thinks it's awful. Um, you know, certainly the abuse of the state patrol. I mean, so he, you know, he's all about abolishing ICE. You know, I imagine he'd right. sign up for the defund police movement. I know he's supported by defund police groups. But at the same time, um, uses the state patrol to the tune of almost $600,000 to chauffeur him around various places when he became lieutenant governor. Um, now, we'll be pointing out his record, but it's a pretty clear choice for Wisconsinites. Uh, uh, the other thing that's on the ballot is truth versus lies and distortion. It's what I've been battling for the last two years, quite honestly, is, uh, you know, Democrats have uh, been lying about me, been distorting my record. And then, of course, their their buddies, their allies in the mainstream media, uh, who are advocates for the, the left uh, as well, uh, they've just been parroting and carrying the Democrats' water. So it, it's really a co- very clear choice for Wisconsinites. Uh, somebody like myself is going to support policies that work, you know, competitive tax system, lower regulations, securing the border, energy independence, versus somebody who's opposed to all of those things. You know, Senator, one, one of the, the, the taglines that's emerging from the campaign is that Ron Johnson ha- has left behind the working man. And as somebody who's followed your career, especially the, the last you know, 11 plus years in office, I always find that interesting. H- have you left behind, do you not relate to or understand that the middle class struggles? Have you really left behind the working man and woman? It's, it's one of the lies, one of the distortions, maybe one of the grosser ones. I, I hear Mandela Barnes, and, you know, God bless his parents for working shift work. Uh, of the two Senate candidates, there's one that works shift works, and that'd be me. So, yeah, I know what it's like to work third shift and second shift. I, I worked my entire way through college, full time. 
uh, left with $7,000 in the bank. What, one week I actually put in 96 hours uh, as a shipping clerk for National School Studios. So, no, I, I know exactly what it's like uh, to work in a factory. I ran a factory for 30 years. So I can relate to people. I can relate to Wisconsinites who are struggling with Forty-year high inflation, record gasoline prices, uh, rising crime—all uh, these are, are are issues. How about the fact that here we are in in America in the year 2022, and we don't have enough baby formula for our infants? Again, you know, none of these things just happened. These were caused by Democrat policy, Democrat governance, and Mandela Barnes will be. Let's face it; it'll be a rubber stamp for all these disastrous policies. Well, well let's, let's talk about the disastrous policies. Uh, gas prices have come down a little bit, but I'm, well, I'm glad it's three sixty instead of $5. I'm, I'm not going to be celebrating until it's, it's a lot lower back where it was a few years ago. But there's no question inflation still continues to be out of control, 8%, 9%, whatever. The, the Biden administration says it's not our fault. We had nothing to do with this. This is Putin's war. That's where the problem is. D- do you buy that or... Have our policies over the last couple of years contributed to or led to the high inflation we're dealing with now? The policies absolutely caused it. You know, as Milton Friedman said, uh, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. And so I, I always look at three causes. The, the biggest one is just this massive amount of deficit spending. You know, I voted for the first CARES Act. You know, we, we started that debate at $750 billion, which I thought would have been adequate. Within a week, is $2.2 trillion. That was the last... One of these massive. And, and just COVID- so people know, that was at the start of that was, the pandemic. That was March of, March right, of 2020. When people were, things were shutting down and the government was ordering stuff closed. And that was kind of an emergency thing to make sure that at that very beginning people could. But could every do it. time there was a new COVID relief pack act, there, there was. There was like a trillion dollars left unspent from the previous ones. So I started voting no because I was concerned about inflation. I, I, I cautioned people about it right from the start. Uh, so it was that massive level of deficit spending. And then, of course, the, the thing that really sparked it was the $1.9 trillion of partisan uh, COVID release packaging passed by the Democrats in, in early 2021. That was, that's one cause. Their war on fossil fuels. You know, the... the Cancellation of the Keystone XL pipeline was just the first shot across the bow. They've made it more difficult. We were energy independent. We no longer are. So they purposely have driven up the price of gasoline and energy, forcing everybody into, you know, into their Green New Deal fantasy. Uh, but then the third component of that is a lot of that deficit spending has been spent given to people, making it possible for them not to, re- to not re-enter the workforce. So you got high energy prices, high gasoline prices, you have this massive deficit spending, way too many dollars chasing even fewer goods because Wisconsin manufacturers can't hire enough people that can't meet demand, so we have even fewer goods. So that's why I call the triple whammy. So no, this, was, this inflation is absolutely caused by the Democrat policies. I always thought it was interesting that on the one hand, President Biden says, essentially to a lot of the fossil fuel producers, I, I want to put you out of business. I want you to be gone in five or ten years, and then what, why aren't you investing money in, in new oil wells and new pipelines and stuff like that? Well, because he doesn't want to be held accountable for the energy prices that he caused. Uh, so he goes, you know, bending on, on, you know, with his hat in hand to the Saudis and to Venezuela uh, to have them pump the oil that we need to power our economy. You know, Jeff, 80% of our economy is powered by fossil fuels. That's not going to change for decades globally. It's not going to change. Uh, why do I call it a Green New Deal fantasy? Take a look at the environmental impact of 
for example, mining the rare earth chemicals we're going to need for the batteries. Take a look at the, you know, the energy used to produce the batteries, uh, how unreliable solar and wind is in terms of power grid. So you need 100% backup in terms of fossil fuels anyway. So it, it is a fantasy. We, we, I'm, I'm, I'm an all-of-the-above energy strategy. I have no problem with that. But it has to be market-based. It also has to be reality-based. And right now, they're not, Democrats are as detached from reality as they are from the truth. Okay, to, to that point, the, the big news this week was the victory laps that the president is taking over the, we anticipate the, that the, quote-unquote, what do they call it, the Inflation Reduction Act is going to be passed. I, I know you were a no vote along with all the other Republicans. What, what do you think about that, and is it going to really reduce inflation? Well, one more Orwellian-named piece of legislation. You already have major economic uh, researchers coming out saying it'll have no impact on inflation. I think, if anything, it'll have a negative impact. Uh, I'm a business guy. You increase taxes on business, you know, business, businesses look at uh, taxes as a cost. What do they do with ca- costs? They pass them along to consumers. Or they don't have enough money to w- raise wages and you know, benefits. So it impacts consumers, it impacts their employees. And then, of course, all the additional government spending just fuels the flames of, of inflation. So I see no scenario in which it's you know, going to reduce inflation. I think it's more likely to increase inflation. We just can't afford this stuff. I am seeing some reports suggesting that as sort of an October or close to October surprise, President Biden might finally be willing to pull the trigger on his massive student loan forgiveness. I know you don't think that's a particularly good idea. That'd be grossly unfair. I mean, look how unfair it'd be for, let's say, kids who never went to college. Uh, how about kids that actually paid off their student loans? And, of course, you have to understand, a lot of the student loan debt is, is really outstanding toward graduate students, people at the higher ends of the income spectrum. So it'd be grossly unfair. Listen, I've got all the sympathy in the world for people, kids who have been enticed to collectively incur $1.7 trillion of student loan debt, but forgiving the debt is not the solution here. What we need to do is get college costs under control and quit pushing college on everybody. I've, I've thought that was the most wrong-headed thing to tell everybody you got to get a four-year degree. They don't. But what does that tell kids that don't want to get a four-year degree? That they're some second-class citizen, that what they're going to do in life has no value? I think it's just incredibly wrong-headed. It's one of the reasons it's hard to find people to work in manufacturing and, and the trades. Well, those are great jobs. They're, they're great ways to realize their full human potential. We, we need to quit pushing college on everybody. You know, um, Senator, when we talk about border issues. In some respects, it's an abstract situation here in Wisconsin as compared to like Texas or Arizona or whatever. But I know you've been very focused on on the border. And is it fair to say that it's gotten out of control during the last year and a half? Completely out of control. I mean, President Obama, when we were uh, apprehending about 2,000 people a day, called it a humanitarian crisis. Now it's been over 7,000 people a day over the last four or five months. 7,000 people a day. That doesn't even count the, the known and unknown gotaways. So, we don't focus on the humanitarian depredations that are occurring. How do you think young women pay off their human trafficking fee? Well, they get yeah. you know, forced into the sex trade. I mean, there's other human uh, uh, involuntary servitude. But look at all the deadly drugs coming across this, this country. Last year, I think it was 107,000 drug overdoses. So the, just the harm caused by the, the human trafficking and the, the out-of-control flow. But it, the other harm is that we are not establishing a functioning legal system. And what was so depressing about it is that we were so close having that first step. We'd pretty well stopped the flow of unaccompanied children, family units. Even single adults were down under the 
uh, Trump administration, that of course all exploded, but we need to first secure the border before we can establish a functioning legal immigration system, uh, which is w- what we're going to need. You know, we're a nation of immigrants. Uh, we have a severe worker shortage. We just do. And one of the ways to cure that is with a functioning legal immigration system tied to the economy where we're not depressing American wages as we bring in uh, immigrants. Well, as long as we're talking about some of the pipe dreams that are out there, I, I, I know that there's a lot of people on the other side who simply say, it's time to open the borders. You know, we, we are, as you said, we are a country of immigrants. Why, why, why don't we let thousands of people pour in on a daily basis? Because it's that illegal flow. It's those individuals that get preyed on by the human traffickers. It's, it's back of envelope calculation. Last time I was down there with a briefing, it's about an $18.3 billion a year business for the, some of the most evil people on the planet. And, you know, Jeff, I can't even talk about some of the depredations I've heard about in terms of what these human traffickers do. So it's got to be a legal flow. You, you, you're not a sovereign nation if you don't have a secure border. This is completely out of control. It's, it's not good for the, the immigrants. It's not good for our nation. You seem very energized. You think so? I, no, I, I do. I mean, there, there, there's clearly, uh, I mean, there is, there is clearly, I'm not just saying that you weren't energized two or three years ago, whatever, but you're, you are, for anybody who wonders if you're up to this campaign, you are clearly up to this campaign. You feel very strongly about the issues. Well, again, I, this was not my preference. I mean, it was, my, it was my preference. It was my wife's very, very, very strong preference to serve two terms and go home. But I did not anticipate the disaster that is Democrat governance. And, you know, I so hate the division. I, mean, I really do. I mean, it's just, it's exhausting. Uh, we need to heal as a nation. I, I was on the platform when President Biden gave his inaugural address. I think eight times he said his number one goal is to unify and heal this nation. He has done, and the left has done the exact opposite. We need healing. We need to unify this nation. Because as Lincoln said, a house divided cannot stand it. It, it exhibits a weak, weakened America to our adversaries. And, of course, they take advantage of it. So, no. Yeah, I've never turned my back on a problem. I, I could not turn my back on America. I couldn't just walk away. I think I'm in a position where I can even be more effective. And by the way, I was pretty effective during my, my first couple of terms. I'm the guy that made sure that 95% of American businesses got a tax cut so they can stay competitive with the big guys and survive the pandemic. You know, it's my right to try law that, that is saving lives. It's saving lives. And of course, our Joseph Project is just a perfect demonstration project of what you need to do to help transform lives through, through work and the dignity of earning your own success. As long as you, you mentioned that the whole pass-through thing, let, let's talk about this one more time, because when, whenever I read a lot of the commentary, Ron Johnson doesn't care about the working man. Ron Johnson is just in it for the rich business people. And, and that's the vote that they cite on, on that whole pass-through thing. So what, what, again, what was that all about? Because I understand it gets a little bit complex. But So, so even under Republican tax reform, all they were going to do is cut taxes for 5% of American businesses, the C-Corps. And so they structured the, the budget reconciliation number to pay for that. There's no room for anything else. And so I'm the one raising my hand, uh, reminding because I think most of my colleagues literally thought we were going to cutting business for everybody. But because I come from that world, I realize, no, 95% of American businesses are pass-throughs. They're going to be left behind. We were going to go from a, a differential of about 7.7% of higher taxes for pass-throughs to 23.8. They'd been completely uncompetitive. So I'm the guy that said, guys, I'm not going to vote for this if we can't bring some parity and, and we address 95% of American businesses. So instead of a tax deal for myself and a couple of buddies, 20 million, more than 20 million tax filers have taken advantage of this. And these are the small mom and pop main street businesses that provide 
all kinds of employment, all kinds of innovation. I'm the guy that recognized that. I'm the one that you know, took a lot of guff from you know, Wisconsin Talk Radio hosts. I'm, I'm sure you weren't yeah. beating up on me, but others did. I'm the ones that got the snarly phone calls from the Oval Office uh, for saying, no, we, we, we have to give a tax break for every American business. They, they have to have a level playing field. Um, so, no, th- this is probably one of the, the worst distortions, one of the worst lies that I cut some deal for myself. Listen, when you cut taxes for everybody, you know, for every business and you have a business, yeah, you're going to get a tax cut. Right. But so is everybody else that's going to so come So is everybody else. And again, to me, it's, almost, it's like my crowning achievement. I mean, w- when you give tax relief for 95% of American businesses, more than 20,000, 20, 20, no, 20 million yeah. tax filers, you've done something well. And you take a look at the effect of that. Look at the economy we had before the COVID recession. That's because we made America's tax system more competitive, and I made sure that every American business could compete. Senator Ron Johnson, thanks for stopping by. I know we will chat on multiple occasions over the course of the next couple months. Enjoy the fair. <laughs> you, you as well. That's uh, Senior Senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson.